Giles Files, and my name is Nancy Giles, right in tune with my ukulele. My podcast producer and cohort, Nancy Wyatt, met wine aficionados Dorothy J. Gator and Don Bretcher while working on a wine tasting series for CBS Sunday Morning a while back, and Nancy thought they were an awesome duo. John and Dottie met as journalists at the Miami Herald in 1973 and went on to storied careers at the New York Times, Newsweek, and later the Wall Street Journal, where their weekly tastings column blew up. Their acclaimed 2003 book, Love by the Glass, Tasting Notes from a Marriage, was aptly described by the Rocky Mountain News as a sophisticated and elegant book about love, marriage, and the drink that made everything that much sweeter. Hmm. So while polishing off a bottle of wine one night, Nancy Wyatt had an epiphany. Hey, let's get those guys for the podcast. <laughs> Nancy is new to wine. Well, not exactly new to wine, but well, anyway. Yeah. Where you're buying it regularly for yourself. Right. That's true. And I call her wine. Did you get a bottle? Yes, I did. She calls my favorite wine, which is this here. It's vino, which means wine. <laughs> it's a red sweet wine that, that I love. She and Nancy it. has been mercilessly teasing me about it because she calls it grape juice. It is grape juice. So, I mean, what? so I like what I like, which which goes along with what you guys are saying. And what I really love about the two of you is how you have made wine to me, less exclusive and less uh, hoity-toity. Like my uh, my first introduction to wines and wine tastings just were very pretentious where people would, you know, swirl, sniff, talk about bouquets and this and that, and it's got a hint of oak and whatnot. And I just felt like, what? Do you really taste all that? Like, are there different parts of the tongue that that taste these different things? Well, there there are, but... Well, who cares? I mean, you know, um, it, it's it's an agricultural product, you know, and and just like asparagus, it'll hit your palate in in a different way. Uh, but what's important is what it tastes like to you, which mm-hmm. which means you know what's that? What that means is that you know what you like. Doesn't make right. it a great wine. Doesn't mean that I have to like it. Mm-hmm. But it's an agricultural product. And yes, it is grape juice. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's where it starts. <laughs> and, and the thing is, everything that you described about swirling and sniffing and talking about that, that's actually how we talk. But the thing is, we've been tasting wine and drinking wine together for 50 years. That's how right. we talk. That's how we enjoy wine between the two of us. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the wonderful things about wine, that you can appreciate it in different ways uh, with different people mm-hmm. in different places of your journey. Because uh, we enjoy talking like that between the two of us. Believe me when I tell you that nobody would want to be near us when it's just the two of us talking about a wine, because it would be incredibly boring. But <laughs> It's we talk in a shorthand. You know, this reminds us of that place in Miami in 1976. This reminds us of this, you know, hmm, it's interesting. What was the winemaker going after here? But that's just geek stuff. That's just us. 
Well, I think that you de-geek it. That's the thing that I like is, is just the way you described it now. Now I start thinking about, I've started to think about wines in terms of where I was when I got it, the memory mm -hmm. of where, you know, who I was with, how it happened. There's a whole story that goes with it. So, you know, this is just, I'm just revealing my own, you know, psychological insecurities about the whole bouquet <laughs> thing. So well, anyway. But you know, the, the, the more you like wine, the more you might want to know about it. And and you, yeah. you 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 can never know enough because every year there's a new vintage, you know there are wines being made from everywhere now coming out of everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it it it's fun to geek out and it but but it's not necessary. Our our kids when they got to be teenagers limited mm -hmm. us to three sentences each at at dinner about wine. And and the younger one kept count. Yes. <laughs> yes, I say that a lot. Like if you went to three sentences and four words, they'd be like, eh, too much. <laughs> Done. Done. <laughs> yep. Well, speaking of geek, I'm going to read this anyway. Okay. This is about a 1974 Robert Mondavi Cabernet Sauvignon. Very fruity, light, fiery color, big, Swedish nose, and taste due to huge fruit. Complex, not too oaky. Spicy, youngish. <laughs> Long, fruity, big finish, zesty. Damn. Wow. I can taste that. I can yeah. still taste that. But, well, first, let me just, just say that the 74 Mondavi Cabernet has a very special place in our life. It was a great, it was a great, great year. Uh, we had it when we were young. Mondavi kind of made Napa Valley famous. We had that 74, it changed our lives, and we decided that we were going to have a 74 Mondavi every year on our anniversary. Uh, so we collected it for years. Mm -hmm. We didn't realize that we'd be married for 50 years, so we didn't collect that many. So we ran out of them I long knew ago. we would be. <laughs> I, I thought, I thought oh, right 50 on <laughs> John Dottie oh, knew. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You think I'm going to let him go? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, but the wine, um, the wine matured as, as we did. And mm -hmm. um, oak, oak it, when it's used really well, adds mm -hmm. a layer of, of complexity, mm -hmm. uh, a, a depth. Um, it, it's, it's a spice, basically. Uh -huh. Okay. You know? and, and some... Because the barrels are toasted, so you can have a light toast, or you can have a heavy toast, hmm. and and that that translates. Uh, well, I I love champagne uh, in 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 a um, in a toast kind of way, mm -hmm. brioche, croissant, you know Ooh. that kind of note. Uh, in in a red wine, it can be like cinnamon or nutmeg, mm -hmm. um, but th those those seventy four Mondavis aged beautifully and the last one we had um was very tired yes and um but at, at, at some point during the night it straightened itself up you know for one last gasp and it was just mm -hmm. it was it was beautiful mm. and it was it was a lot of fun to taste that wine uh changing through the years as as, as we change mm. one two three and 
When Dottie and John met in 73, it was a bolt of lightning immediately. They were writers and thinkers and loved a good time. And then, who knew, they loved them some wine. Yes, they did. Dottie and John had kisses as sweet as their wine. Dottie and John had Kisses as sweet as their wine. Um, can we just go back for people who might not know this part of the story about the significance of June 4th, 1973? What happened to the two of you on that particular day? That was our first day of our first job out of college. And um, because my folks told me to always be punctual, I was the first of three new hires to to arrive at the Miami Herald newsroom on that day. Mm -hmm. And um, I was seated when uh, Steve Rogers, uh, a high ranking editor, walked over this handsome young man and said, um, Dorothy Gator, this is John Brecher. He's the most recent editor of the Columbia Daily Spectator, which was a storied uh, college newspaper then and still. And I just looked at this guy and thought, wow, wow. <laughs> and we, we were 21. Aww. And, yeah. you know, that was it. And, John, when you looked at Dorothy, was it a wow, wow as well? I want it details. Was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, it, it really was. She was just, I mean, look at her. Like, really, I know. Right? Right? Thank you. Thank um, you. I mean, you know, it was like, you know, I was just, I was just amazed. And we just, we felt an immediate connection. We were very, very, very lucky. You know, we had the same, our, our parents were the same. Our passions were the same. Uh, we both came from Northern Florida. It was almost weird. Um, our parents had each designed their own homes. Hers in Tallahassee, mm -hmm. mine in Jacksonville. But it was basically the same house. I mean, it's just yeah, kind of weird. We kind of knew each other yeah. uh, really well when we met. Yeah, that those were the days of miniskirts, and his hair was <laughs> longish, you know. But she uh, was wearing the miniskirt. <laughs> 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 Thank you, John, because he said miniskirts, and then she said his hair was kind of longish, and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he was wearing gray slacks and a navy blue jacket. Dorothy, you yeah. remember exactly. You exa you I remember do. exactly. I do. Did he ask you out or you just started working together? We, we started working together and mm -hmm. um, was approaching, I guess, at some point, Bob Dylan was going to be performing in Broward County, which is a county north of Miami. And um, the city editor gave John tickets to cover it. And... John being the polite guy that he is, there was a woman standing next to him. So he invited Gail Pollard, tall black woman, to go with him. And she said, I don't like that music. Ask Dottie Gator. <laughs> so he asked me, and that was our first date. We And it was during the gas crisis. Yeah. Oh. So it took forever to get there. And, uh, <laughs> and we were in this huge stadium, and Bob Dylan was like, two inches tall because we were standing so far, right. sitting so far away from him. But uh, on, on the drive there, John learned that I love fruits and vegetables. 
And, and he happened to be covering an area of Dade County, south of Miami, where uh, fruits and vegetables grew. So he said, well, maybe I can take you you picking someday. And that, that was just my sweet spot. You know, my mother <laughs> said that fruits and vegetables are nature's candies. And yeah. so we made a date to go out and pick vegetables. So the very first one we ever had together was Andre Cold Duck. Now, for those watching <laughs> yes, now, who I are not that. familiar with the classics, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> can you Andre explain how Cold it got Duck. the name Cold Duck? It's a bad translation from the German. Yeah, basically, basically, um, and uh, uh, it's it it was and probably still is, although I imagine it's much harder to find now. Uh, this very sweet sparkling wine. The only reason I had it was my parents had given it to me as a welcome when I moved to my apartment in Miami, and I didn't have anyone to drink it with. I mean, I I, I did. We didn't know anything about wine nothing about wine is that yeah. right nothing mm -hmm. and so the fact that i had any bottle of wine was just really cool not only that but it was sparkling wine and yeah <laughs> it was andre cold duck and it was sweet and it was red but it was delicious so so we we had the vegetables that that we'd picked that day with 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 the andre cold duck and and it was a perfect pairing and so were we it worked out <laughs> was it this cold duck and the connection of the two of you that sort of got this wine and Dorothy and John thing going? Um, it, it was kind of an accident. I was, because we were, we were newly dating and I thought it would be really cool to actually buy a bottle of wine next time Dottie came over. It just kind of seemed like something you might do to someone special. So uh, I went into a crown liquor store and I had no idea where I was. I, I mean, we, we never, I didn't know anything about wine. We never had wine in my household, as I think most Americans didn't back yeah. then. Yeah. Uh, and there was a kind of generic bottle of French wine on the counter that they were selling for like $3.99. And I thought, oh, I'll pick up this bottle of white wine. And I thought, wait, you know, I'll get a bottle of white and a bottle of red because that's bound to impress Dottie. So I got these two <laughs> bottles, like for three ninety nine each. And the guy said, "You know what? Tell you what, you buy a full case, and I'll give them to you for two ninety nine a bottle." And I thought, and that's going to impress the hell out of Dottie because she's going to show <laughs> up her or worry her. I'm going to yeah. have a case of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and so I bought the case, and we we had this generic white, this generic red, and we thought this tastes really good, and then. After tasting it, we thought, where does this come from? It's like, oh my, oh, it's from France. And this is where France is. Uh, and this is where in France it's from, which kind of made us think, wow, you know, maybe we should try something else. And that was it. We were, we were kind of off to the races. And, you know, so much of wine, even today, is about where it's from. You can take a tour of the entire world in your house, in your apartment from a case of wine uh, because it takes you places where you've never been and may never be. Page 156. On some Sundays, we went rowing on Central Park. There were old rowboats for rent at just $4 an hour. 
and a graffiti artist had spray-painted Clyde on every one of them. We would row in the middle of the lake, surrounded by Central Park and beyond it, all of Manhattan, and read the New York Times for hours while drinking white wine in summer, red wine in colder weather. The very first bottle we opened in a Central Park rowboat was a 1978 Chardonnay from Chalon, one of California's classiest wineries. Even then, some California wineries were deciding that American-style Chardonnay, powerful, rich, buttery, and oaky, was far too heavy and not really drinkable with food. The Chalon we had that day was on the leading edge. Very good and beautifully made, we wrote. Not big and rich and buttery, but instead earthy and much taste of the earth and very French. Classy and earthy and nice, but more French than California. Your journalists also, and you were doing hard news stories, and, and I'm wondering if the way you cover wine is the way you cover news or like what that transition was like for the two of you. Wow. Well, it it was it was a difficult thing for me to stop writing about race because it's so important. But but at the same time, I thought, you know, maybe it's time for someone else to get a whack at this. We were very, very fortunate to work at the Wall Street Journal because it paid for all of our wine. We we tried to be um, the fill-in for, for the public. We only went to events that were open to the public. We didn't go to trade-only events. Uh, we, we, we do now because that's a great way to, to learn and, and to taste other wines. But, but, but back then, we insisted on, on paying for tickets, whatever it was. Um, either the journal would pay for it or we would pay for it and, and tell people what we found there. So that that was part of our old news uh, journalism background. But to really get was, an unbiased to be able exactly. to tell in an unbiased well, way. Yeah, we had been wine consumers for from what seventy three to when we started column nineteen ninety eight nineteen ninety eight. So we we'd been regular consumers for twenty five years. We've been going to wine stores, drinking our own stuff, paying for our own stuff for twenty five years. Um, so we knew what it was like to be a consumer. We knew mm -hmm. what it was like to go into a good wine store and a bad wine store. We knew what it was like to be treated well and be treated badly by a sommelier at a restaurant. We didn't want to lose that when we were writing about wine. Uh, and we wanted to bring that same sense. Uh, that was really important to us. And as Dottie said, we were so so very lucky to work for people at the Wall Street Journal who said, fine, do it, send us the bills. We follow the same rules for the wine column that we did as a journalist. And we wanted yes. to anyway. You right, know? yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know, when, when we were 21 years old at Miami Herald, we were taught if you take someone out for coffee, a source, you buy the coffee. Don't ever let them buy the coffee. And if you do, you'll be fired. And they were serious about it. Yeah. That's how we grew up. Mm -hmm. That was really, really important to us. Um, and we wanted to bring that same sensibility as consumers. Did, did you propose to the Wall Street Journal, we want to do this wine column or did they? It, it, 
it was really it was it was an accident uh the i was dotty was the senior editor covering race uh at the journal uh, i was the page one editor i was responsible for deciding it was on page one every day we've both been there for a number of years uh wine was our very private passion um it, but everybody there knew we enjoyed wine and we were the people you know there's someone in every office where you got a question about wine go talk to john and dotty they'll let you know meantime they've been talking about weekend journal forever and as the brilliant editor joanne Lippman, who used to work for me on page one put it five days a week we're going to tell people how to make money the sixth day we're going to tell them how to spend it and to our surprise it actually did get off the ground and then even more to our surprise um the column was like literally the very first week this huge hit and then to her incredible credit just about a month later martha stewart immediately picked up on it and said this column is going to be a sensation and she had us on and we were really off the, to the races um, and it, one of the things that we discovered from martha stewart's show is that no matter how intimate your writing is and no matter how what you say in print there's something about television that people feel they really know you mm -hmm. they feel that you've been in their home in their living room so that was the point where anywhere we go people would say john and Dottie," like and and it was wonderful because then we heard that many more stories about wine and what people wanted to know. And that was it. And it was fun, funny because men would say, well, mm -hmm. I, I was in, I was in Tokyo and I couldn't sleep. So I was on the treadmill and, you know, just, just channel surfing. And I don't really watch Martha, but you know, <laughs> I couldn't sleep. So there you were, you know, yeah, but right. a, a lot of men watched Martha Stewart, you know, which is okay it's okay yeah. to do that that's how it happened and then book contracts came you know and mm -hmm. uh, then the the column got so popular that uh wine companies wanted their ads to, to touch the column oh on the page so the journal asked us to write a second column so we were writing two columns and then they said do videos so we we were we were doing two columns a week and videos to go with each column. Page 103. It was a great time to live on the Upper West Side of New York City. New York was the center of the universe, and Columbus Avenue was the most happening place in it. Our apartment building was on West 72nd Street, between Central Park West and Columbus, and it was right next door to the famous Dakota. The balcony was where we spent most of our lives. Busy West 72nd Street was right below. If we bent over a little to the left, we could see Central Park as it changed through the seasons. Immediately to our left, we looked right into the awesome apartments of the rich people of the Dakota. They were huge and filled with deep dark wood panels, big picture windows, and the most beautiful curtains. Every day seemed a reason for a celebratory bottle of wine. We celebrated the last show of MASH with a bottle of Chateau Chesplin 1976 from Bordeaux. 
our first dinner on the balcony with a Harbor Winery Cabernet Sauvignon from California and our very first snowstorm in our 72nd Street apartment with a Croft Port from the 1963 vintage. It was the first port we'd ever tasted. Real port from Portugal. Um, Nancy, you had a really good question about the life of a bottle and, and how wine tastes you sometimes at the beginning. And I don't want to take it because it was a good question. You were attending a concert in Central Park. I think it was a Bordeaux. You opened it. It was by uh, the Vinter Martini. Oh, Louis, oh, Louis, Martini. Louis Martini. Louis Martini. And you said it was horrible when you first opened it. <laughs> but, but as the night went on, it became wonderful. So I wanted to understand the first sip was very different from the last sip. Well, wine is, is, is a living thing. Mm -hmm. And um, so when you open the bottle, you allow air to interact with it. And, and air and temperature change what's mm -hmm. in the bottle. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, some refer to the, the wine as breathing. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful to see the life cycle of a wine and in, in, in your glass. Mm -hmm. we, we, we don't decant because once you pour it out, you, you can't get that genie back in the bottle. You know, so so we, we we don't decant older wines ever. Mm -hmm. um, there there are some younger wines that if you you taste them and they're tight, you know, maybe they they need a shock of air. But but we generally uh, consider our decanting in our glasses. Sipping. So just for mm -hmm. people who might not know, decanting slowly means 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 to, to put in a in a in a in larger vessel. Right. A carafe or something. Yeah, in a, in a carafe. You don't believe in that. We don't. We don't um, until at least you've tasted it. Okay. If you've tasted it, sometimes with a young big wine, you'll taste it and it'll like make your mouth go like that, and it's like really tight. In that case, okay, fine. You know, decant it so it'll just be more approachable. So cute. Mm -hmm. But on, <laughs> but on the whole, <laughs> on the whole, we don't because we like how it changes. But. Well, you know, it's not just air, but it's also, as Dottie said, it's also the temperature. And that's the wonder of it, is that wine changes. It changes with age and with air and with temperature and and with your mood. Your mood changes a little bit. What's happening around you changes mm -hmm. a little bit. So the wine is changing. You're changing. Um, nothing's static. And that's what's mm -hmm. wonderful about a mm -hmm. bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. that, that Louis Martini we had lost in our cellar and had had not intended to age it so we mm. were we we weren't sure how it was going to be mm -hmm. but but those wines made back then were sound mm -hmm. they were the real deal and and they they had longer lives than than anyone would ever have guessed when you say mm. it was lost in your cellar is it because there's that much wine <laughs> in your cellar so that there, you lost there, it there there was at a time yep We've been making inroads, but yeah, that, that's what happened. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we, we forgot we had it. Should okay, we talk great. about train travel? Oh, yes. We yes. share a love with you of train travel. Oh, my God. I've always wanted to go coast to coast by train. And then just last year, Nancy White and I both went from New York to Chicago on a train to mm. taking this little well, um, the Lakeshore Limited. Lakeshore oh. Limited. We, we know that train. Oh mm -hmm. gosh, yeah. we did the roomettes and the whole thing. And it was 
fabulous. And and our friend Bob crazy. Johnston, who writes for Trains Magazine, we did a whole we did a podcast book. with him. Yeah. yeah. We're going to send yeah. you that episode. We're going to send you that link. You okay. might enjoy it. Okay. Yeah. We started doing this a long, long time ago. They had this thing that was called the All Aboard America Fair. And the way it worked is that you could pay one fare to go mm -hmm. all the way around the country as long as you didn't stay at at any one of the, at the endpoints for more than a night. So we wow. would go like from New York to Chicago, Chicago to, I think it was Portland, Portland to LA, maybe then LA, maybe to New Orleans, and then back up to New York. I can't, mm -hmm. And and so we do an entire circuit of the country, and we'd only have to pay for our our basic travel. But then right. we'd make up for it by paying for a deluxe bedroom the entire way. Um, and we'd we we learned all this over the years. We'd get on board with an ice bucket filled with ice. Uh, and our suitcases would be very heavy. They wouldn't have any clothes in them. They just pain. And we'd get in. We would put on our pajamas. We'd ask the porter to put down one of the beds and say, "Just don't put it up again the whole time." We'd open a bottle of champagne and we'd watch America roll by. Yeah, not the greatest. And, oh, and that's how we honeymooned. And and in in the seventies, this was before cell phones, so we mm -hmm. were completely unplugged. Out of touch. Aww. Yeah, we love that not yeah. being able to be because we we were in a newsroom, you know, being bombarded with information and having to do this and that. And for for the time that we were on the train, we we were completely in each other's company, in that cabin, and and uh, untouchable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cell phones. Yeah. Damn it. Damn them and damn social media. Damn it. <laughs> Run yeah. everything. Run everything. Not I just really, because we don't I don't know if if we did that today. I, you know, and it's nobody's fault, but because of cell phones, I mean, I don't think I would be able to turn off my cell phone for two weeks because I'd be afraid I'm gonna miss something important. Important, yeah. And, and once you leave your cell phone on you you start getting junk phone calls and text messages and, i would hide your phone yeah but <laughs> yeah. i, I would like, hide it i don't know it's just it doesn't seem like it would be possible to be quite as alone as we were then mm -hmm. page 37 we had never been in a sleeper car so we didn't quite know what to expect but it seemed appropriate to take along a bottle of champagne. We didn't know a lot about real champagne. It was expensive, and Hans Cornell had been fine enough. But we went out and picked up something called Tattinger Brut Le Francais. A Tattinger is one of those great champagne houses of the Champagne region of France. Like most champagne... Tattinger L'Enfrancais is non-vintage. It's blended from several vintages for a consistent taste. But Tattinger also makes a prestige cuvée called Tattinger Comme de Champagne, which is expensive. Vintage champagne is only made in the best years and from the best grapes. We didn't know any of this at the time. We picked up the Tattinger only because it was on sale. Can I ask you, this is always, what is the difference between champagne and Prosecco? They're two different things, right? 
Go oh, ahead yeah. and laugh, Nancy Wyatt. I don't care. Uh, yeah. Well, champagne only comes from champagne. Okay. A place called champagne. And it, it, has, it has to come from champagne to be called champagne. Everything else is a sparkling wine. And the French will fight you over this. Right. Mm. They say uh, Idaho potatoes don't come from Georgia. They, <laughs> right. they come from Idaho. You know? <laughs> but so, the fact is, is that in today's world, there are such outstanding sparkling wines mm-hmm. coming from all over the world at such reasonable prices that there's no reason in the world not to always have a bottle of some sort of sparkling wine in the refrigerator. And on the one hand, don't save real champagne for just special occasions. But on the other hand, don't save sparkling wine. Don't, don't, have, don't feel like you can't just have a sparkling wine in place of champagne because they're all delicious. I mean, um, California makes some outstanding sparkling wines. Uh, Italy, many of them are made in pretty much the same method um, with a secondary fermentation in the bottle that creates the bubbles. And often with the same kind of grapes, um, you know, Champagne, Pinot Noir, or in or in Champagne, uh, and 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 Chardonnay, and uh, and often with you know an equal amount of passion and care. Uh, but the the important thing is always to have a bottle of sparkling in the refrigerator, no okay. matter what it is. Okay. But Champagne comes strictly from Champagne, right? Got it. Yeah, that was right. one of the questions Nancy said. I'm going to ask them that. I said, no, don't ask them that. Oh, no, no. There are no bad questions. <laughs> no. And, and John, John wanted to share this one with you because it's, it's, um, it's a grower champagne. What does that mean? A grower well, champagne? I, you know, around the holidays when you're getting a, an actual champagne champagne because it's really special and you're willing to kind of spend the big bucks, many people go for the big names and rightly so because those big names are big names because they've been reliable for a long long time and you know that if you pick it up it will be reliable people will recognize it but we really urge you to think about if you have a good merchant buying a grower champagne because they're very personal they're made by kind of smaller producers who aren't the giant guys they're often actually less expensive but more interesting. Huh. And here's the secret. There's this tiny, tiny, tiny number that starts with like RM or NM. It's on the back here somewhere. And most of them start with NM, which is the big guys. But if you find one that starts with RM, it's a grower champagne like made by one of those little guys who really need your support and are just creating wines of very special passion. And the great thing about that is not only is it a good bottle, but if you get a bottle like this for someone and you point that out, they'll know how much you cared. Isn't that what any great gift is about? You just got back from South Africa. We did. Tell us about it. Well, the Wines of South Africa, which is a trade group, has this wonderful representative here. Uh, Jim Clark, and we had been going to tastings that he'd put on here in Manhattan for years. And he invited us to go on this trip with journalists from other 
publications and it was fabulous. It was our first time there. What a beautiful country. Mm-hmm. You'd always wanted to visit there. Is that true? I think it, it is true. It's a country that's been making wine for a long time. And long before I wrote a word about wine, I covered race. Uh, so I, I wrote about the anti-apartheid movement for many, many years and the, the boycotts. So it was it had a pretty big impact on me to, to be there and actually see what that country really looked like close up. Um, I was holding our, our first child uh, who was 11 months old on the, the morning that uh, Nelson Mandela walked free. And she and I were both crying. She was hungry and I was just moved. <laughs> Did you feel like the country had changed? Yeah. I know that's the first time you'd been there, but since you wrote about it, prior. Did you get a feeling that it wasn't the same country that you'd written about? Um, it, it, it's changing and it's, it's, so, it's so early in the process, but I was struck by how willing people were to talk about it. I mean, people in this country didn't talk about race the, the way they do now mm-hmm. until George Floyd was killed. Mm-hmm. Right. They're, they're, and- people are having more uncomfortable discussions now than two years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a work in progress. We talked to Ilya Mistel about the American constitution versus the South African new constitution and how we wish we could rewrite ours to sound more inclusive. Exactly. Theirs is amazing. They, they pretty much start out by saying, you know, I won't say it the way I would if I was in Queens, New York right now, but we messed up, you know, <laughs> we messed up, we recognize that we messed up, we have to bring everybody together in an equal way, we're throwing out the old constitution. Right, but they they, they have to make things happen. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it, mm-hmm. uh, it acknowledging and talking about it is important, but you really have to make mm-hmm. structural things happen. Mm-hmm. So what are some exciting wines coming out of South Africa? Oh, you, you just, you can't, I mean, just pick a, pick, pick a category. <laughs> pick one. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, we, we, we've, we've been drinking Pinotage for a long time. Uh-huh. And, and yeah, that's. Pinotage, what is that? It, it's, it's South Africa's red. Okay. And, and uh, uh, some of the first ones to make it to our shores weren't really well made. And that they, they turned off. Americans to the whole grape, um, hmm. but we we keep tasting them, and we we tasted some really wonderful ones on this trip, and and they age beautifully. When you know any any grape, when it's made, a wine made with care mm-hmm. can be made from any grape. If you're in your wine shop, um, you're most likely to see um, Sauvignon Blanc. From South Africa, okay, and it's a terrific deal. Um, you're you're likely to see sparklers from South Africa, again, terrific deals, and rosés from South Africa, again, terrific deals. The next trend we believe is going to be Pinot Noir from South Africa. Hmm. Just beginning, they're just beginning to find the right places to make Pinot Noir, and mark our word that sometime next couple of years, it's going to be the hot thing. It's going to be Pinot Noir from South Africa. Um, there are also an increasing number of, uh, of Black winemakers in South Africa. And one uh, that's 
that's at least relatively available in the U.S. is Aslina, A-S-L-I-N-A. Mm -hmm. Okay. And absolutely a label to look for. That's wonderful to hear that they're they're winemakers of color or oh, yeah. what's the proper word? Winemaker doesn't sound right. Vintners. Vintners. Um, no, what, what, what? Winemakers? Winemakers. Thank you, Dorothy. Don't overcomplicate. Uh, okay. You don't, don't overthink, right. you know. <laughs> no, but Dorothy, you're like my wine shrink. Okay. <laughs> you're my wine shrink. You're, Good. you're holding my hand through this process and okay. making me feel less alone. Good. 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 I would think um, starting, you know, trying to be a wine grower, that's got to cost quite a bit to get started. And um, Dottie, you were, well, you were both mentioning in South Africa, black wine sellers, wine vintners. And I'm wondering if there are more uh, people of color that are doing that kind of work in, in the States. It's, does it cost a lot to get started? Yes, it does. It does, right? Uh, people say that that the way to make a small fortune in the wine business is to start with a large a fortune. <laughs> um, there, there's still only one Black-owned estate winery in Napa, and that's the, the Brown family. Now, estate means that they grow their own grapes. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but there, there are quite a few and a growing number of Black own wine labels that these these are wines made by people who are buying grapes so they don't have to have the land oh i see i see okay. yeah and 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 they can make the their wines at custom crush places these are places that that will accept your purchase grapes and you can make your wine there you can hire someone else to make your wine to your taste so you're seeing that kind of um growth but but the actual Grapes in the ground. This is my ground. Um, that that's that's a tough thing because sure. it, you know Napa is the playground of billionaires. You know, with a B. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's changed dramatically. I and, mean, people that I've heard of that have gone into that business that maybe that their families weren't in it were always very wealthy celebrities and TV stars and whatnot that had, I guess quite a bit of bank to lay into something like that well but 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 they don't own the land those right people, right you know they they have labels um and they all say that they're the winemakers but who knows you know uh but but these are farmers you know the 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 growers of the grower champagne they're farmers white wine growers are farmers mm -hmm. and um and while we know our way around agriculture, we we didn't buy land in in Napa and Sonoma when it was affordable, and and now it's 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 pretty much out of reach. But there there are organizations that are popping up and and trying to help people who look like us get into the industry. But but the the land ownership piece yeah. is really really tough. Right. Right. The past two, three years have been brutal, brutal for winemakers all over the world. Combination of the pandemic, fires, floods, um, they are struggling. Climate change, they are struggling. And the more that you can support any small winemaker out there from anywhere in the world, uh, the better. 
because they really need your support right now. I'm going to go off topic for a minute and talk about your daughters. We saw Zoe on Instagram and she's a drummer. We thought that was so She's a, she's a badass professional drummer. Yep. She played with Springsteen, is that right? Oh, can, can I can I say badass? Yes, yes. you can say badass. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. We did a whole episode called Badass Women. So yeah. Okay, all right. All right, good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and you didn't invite me? Uh, you're here now. Next time. Okay, all right. Okay, all we'll right. make sure to put badass in our description. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Zoe was just uh, was just on the Jimmy Fallon show for, right. for four nights playing with Bruce Springsteen. Right, so we saw that. We saw her. She's yeah. awesome. Isn't yeah, she, she is. amazing? We and then two, 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 two daughters. daughters. And, and they're both so different. Media is, is our older daughter. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's, she's a fashionista, design, ah. super writer. Uh, she both both girls write beautifully and mm -hmm. and media is is a is a creative um writer for noom oh noom oh is and, she yeah yeah noom. Noom. i'd have to talk to her it's yeah a, the, the weight yeah, wellness wellness yeah, yeah. Wellness yeah. 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 yeah i tried noom my boyfriend and i both tried it he lost 30 pounds and i lost five and then <laughs> i wrote, i was writing them nasty notes saying yeah i'm an emotional eater because my boyfriend lost 25 more pounds than i did one thing I was wondering, just getting back to wines, is um, is there like a cocktail culture? Is it, it are people that drink more cocktails than wines? Is it a, a similar? Our, arch? our our older daughter and her husband are serious cocktail people. They they like wine, but when they're with us, and this is one thing that you know we love being around them. But but they they make cocktails. They they're these wizards. In, in the kitchen, you know, putting, it's like they're alchemists, they, you know? And mm -hmm. uh, there are just so many variations that that, that you can do. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, and I, have, I haven't talked to them about it, but I think uh, given a choice, one or the other, that they, they would drink cocktails. John, John loves and makes a great martini. Well, oh. yeah, like four, but really like four times a year. I mean, and, and I mean that literally, it's like for us, we love wine and we go to restaurants. We like having wine, but when we order a bottle of wine, inevitably it's something we're going to talk about. And it's something that we're going to analyze. We can't help it. We've been doing it all these years. Um, it's going to remind us of something. So I don't know, three or four times a year, we'll go out to dinner and we'll actually have cocktails because we don't know anything about cocktails. We don't know anything about real alcohol and we can actually just drink them and without really talking about it. You know, we might say, oh, this oh, tastes yeah. good or something, yeah. but it's funny, you know, kind of an actual cocktail is to us kind of what we think wine is to, to, to some other people because to us, it really is just particularly relaxing because it's not that... There are all sorts of cylinders that are not firing when we have it. It's like a night off. You know? yeah. 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 I mean, obviously, you know, talking about wines and analyzing them is something that you love, but occasionally it's nice to just kick back and have some exactly. booze. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks to our awesome guests, 
the badass Dorothy J. Gator and her bon vivant husband and partner in wine, John Brecher. Hey, do yourself a favor and pick up one or all of their books, Love by the Glass or The Wall Street Journal Guide to Wine or Wine for Every Day and Every Occasion. And be sure to take a look at their website, grapecollective.com. And hey, enjoy all that wine research. Cheers. And special thanks to our friend, the actor Patrick Ball, for his readings from Dorothy and John's book, Love by the Glass. We love you, Patrick. You can find out more about Patrick on his website, patrickboll.com. The Giles Files was created by Nancy Giles and Nancy Wyatt. Produced, directed, and edited by Nancy Wyatt and recorded at our studios in Weehawken, New Jersey. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Giles Files, okay? Oops. <laughs>